Welcome back. We are looking at season two, episode five, that's simply titled Spirit. I really like to see what titles they choose for each episode. And um, I actually didn't give this title much thought until just now. So I won't give you thoughts that I don't have, but it's interesting that it's just titled Spirit. And I, I don't know whether that's a reference to the Holy Spirit or demonic spirits or both. Um, but it's a it's an interesting, um, very short title for today's episode. So let's start with prayer and then we'll jump in. I am going to treat this episode pretty much scene by scene, more or less. It seems to be the easiest way to kind of walk through it tonight. And um, we will look at some things. This was actually a controversial episode in a lot of a lot of circles. I don't think it was as controversial in the Catholic circles I kind of was watching as um, the episode three, but there were some people that had issues with this episode, and I really respect certain things that Dallas did with this episode, and I really love what he did with certain aspects. So um, there is some things that I kind of struggle with too. So let's start with prayer, and then we'll jump into a little recap and an analysis looking at The Chosen from a Catholic perspective. So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So, some of you may have caught the podcast. Uh, so, I co-host the Catholic Traveler podcast with my friend, the Catholic Traveler, Mountain Butorik. And today's podcast was all about The Chosen, because The Chosen just finished filming um, and doing some promotion in Rome. And so Mountain has spent the last 10 days with the crew and with Jonathan and Dallas in, in varying time degrees. And um, so it was a fun podcast. So if you like The Chosen, you want to find out more about their trip to Rome to meet the Holy Father, tune into our um, The Catholic Traveler podcast episode today. Um, a friend of mine actually pointed out, Angie, who's on tonight, and I have to say, Angie is now currently drawing um, on Instagram Live on her account. I mentioned this on Instagram earlier, but Angie has um, a great little business called Angie's Saint Magnets, and I love them. They're great gifts, and she's actually drawing live on Instagram right now, John the Baptist, because we're going to be talking about him in this episode. So pretty soon we'll have a John the Baptist magnet and we'll know she drew it while we were all talking about John the Baptist in episode five. So shout out, you can find her online. She has Saint Magnets, but is branching out also to other uh, merchandise. So um, give Angie some love. Again, they make really, really good gifts, especially for first communions and confirmations and all that good stuff. So Angie mentioned today that Dallas was getting some flack from people for meeting the Pope. And he really stood up and said, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm not scared to meet the Pope. And one thing I really love about this series, and one thing I really love about Dallas's approach, is telling the story of Jesus Christ and not getting into arguments about faith. You know, he's very honest that this is, he's trying to tell the story of Jesus, and not everybody's going to agree with everything he does. It's going to be from his point of view, um, but I think it's important for us, for ecumenism, to enter into these discussions and enter into this dialogue. And I really respect him and his openness to just have the conversation. Not all of us are going to agree with everything he chooses to do because we come from different faith backgrounds and fa different faith traditions. And we have very important disagreements about Christianity. And we shouldn't neglect those. We shouldn't ignore those. But they also shouldn't stop us from having a dialogue about Jesus Christ and supporting things like The Chosen. You know, I've heard from some Catholics, they won't support The Chosen because it's not done by a Catholic. 
And I just think of what a tragedy that is. Um, and what are you doing? Are you at home watching Tiger King instead of The Chosen? I mean, what are you choosing to watch instead of The Chosen? Um, do you only watch Catholic media? I doubt it. So just um, just an interesting kind of reminder to us that we should be supporting this because it's helping people find Christ and enter into a relationship with him. Okay, so beginning scene, we have Mary alone picking persimmons. Um, that's actually exactly what a persimmon tree would look like during um, this time. And it kind of looked dead, but that's, you know, that's what it would have looked like actually when she was picking the fruit. And so um, she's alone, she's vulnerable, and so she's terrified when she sees the Roman soldier. So we don't know much about what Dallas has chosen to depict as Mary's background. We really don't know that much about Mary Magdalene, um, but Dallas has chosen to depict her as having, um, having some sexual abuse by a Roman soldier at some point in her life. We saw that in episode one, season one, very briefly. Um, I think they've been very respectful about that. Like it happened, we're not gonna you know, go into it, it happened. And now we see that she, is, she has trauma. And I think this is a very, very accurate depiction of what someone who's undergone abuse suffers during this moment. Like she goes through, she's had trauma and now she's kind of reliving it and she's scared and um, she has this fear. And you notice she's fingering the scripture verse, right? She's been praying it to herself and now she's fingering it. And the, the Bible verse should give her comfort, right? Um, she's in the depths. Remember the Bible verse from last time, right? She's in the depths and he is there. Um, sorry, it was two episodes ago, right? If I'm in the depths, you are there. And so he's there with her and she fingers it, but she ignores it, right? And she lets her fear um, grab onto her and she lets herself, um, you know, enter into this, this, this trauma and this fear um, and this anxiety. Now you can see as the, as the scene ends that she feels guilty. She realizes I have the answer and I've chosen to still give into the fear and she hates herself for it. And we can see that in her discussion um, with Rayma that she knows she had the answer and she didn't do it. And so now she's not only suffering from the trauma, but she's also suffering from the guilt that she didn't do what she was supposed to do, right? Um, and so she she feels like she's relapsed, even if she hasn't. Um, Christina, that's a great point. She fingered the paper with the scripture on it the same way in the episode when we first met her, the scripture that her father had given her, right? And so the fact that she she probably feels like I'm regressing, right? I've already I've already neglected what I've learned so quickly, right? So now she's spiraled into a spiral of guilt um, and shame, really. And this is very, very accurate. Uh, she's spiraling in shame. She's spiraling in guilt, and now we're going to see where that leads her. Um, there's a there's a scene now back in Jerusalem, um, and I'm going to I'm going to kind of touch all this together, not rather than go back and forth and back and forth. But um, we have Shmuel and Yanni back on the scene; they're still at work, um, and we have kind of a reference to the second part of John five, which we didn't see in the episode last week. So. Or in, um, yeah, we didn't see it in episode um, four, but at the end of John five, there's a scene where Jesus comes and, and tells the invalid at the pool of Bethesda who he is and to stop sinning. And then the invalid goes and tells the, the you know, the chief priest, oh, there he is, right? And there's a lot of scripture scholars who, who 
you know, interpret this in different ways. The way they've interpreted it is he's just so happy and he, he wants to sell everybody, right? That's the way they've kind of interpreted it in The Chosen. Um, and so we have this second part of the story here now in episode five. Um, and so later in the episode, we see Shmuel and Yanni really at work to try to, you know, get Jesus in trouble. And so um, we find out that Nicodemus has foiled their plan because Nicodemus has stopped the investigation and stopped the Sanhedrin even talking about this. Um, so what they're going to do is use politics and disagreements to get what they want. And um, this is kind of a confusing part, but it's an important part because what they're using are these two schools of rabbinic thought, of, of Mishnaic thought. Um, so the Mishnah are the writings and the teachings of the rabbi. And so there were two schools of thought that they referenced, Hillel and Shammai. And um, not to get too, too deep into it, but Hillel was a little um, more flexible and more lenient. They, um, for example, allowed for divorce pretty much for any any reason. Shammai is going to be much stricter. Um, so there's only certain way, reasons you can divorce your wife. Um, you know, they had different thoughts about the way you light the candles for Hanukkah. So these two schools were at, you know, at odds with one, of, one another. And so what they're going to do is they're going to use that to try to trap. They're going to use the politics and the dissension to try to get, um, you know, Jesus in trouble. So they're going to pit these two groups against each other. Um, Am I the only one that thinks Shmuel looks completely different without his head covering? Oh my gosh. Like, I was like, who's this guy? I think he looked completely different. It took me a really long time to realize it was Shmuel. Um, this little vignette, in a way, reminded me in Acts um, 23, Paul pits the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, um, sorry, the Sadducees and the Pharisees against each other and kind of gets out of being on trial because they all start arguing about the resurrection. And so um, it kind of reckon, it kind of reminded me of that. They're like, let's use politics and get them to argue so that we get what we want. And um, isn't that the way of the world, right? Um, Christina, I agree. I love how Jesse kept bouncing around and bouncing around and bouncing around. He was just so happy to, um, you know, to, to be walking. He can't sit, sit still. He can't stand still. Okay, so that's what's happening um, over here with Shmuel and Yanni, and it will it will come up again, um, these two schools, Hillel and Shammai. So um, we have Simon training, right? And those are real, um, you know, that that type of, of martial arts was prevalent during, I mean, it wasn't prevalent, but it was used during this time. So that's not an anachronism. And, um, and so we have him training, and it makes sense, right? Because he's a zealot. He's always interpreted the scriptures that the Messiah is going to be a political um, Messiah that will save them, that needs an army. So why wouldn't he be training, right? Why wouldn't he continue his training? He still thinks he needs to fight because he knows the Messiah has come now. And so now the Messiah is going to need the zealots, right? So now here's the time of the zealots. And in comes this demoniac, right? And this is such a, I think the way they've depicted the the demons, um, is 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 not over glorified like you know sometimes and dallas spoke to this like there's no head spinning around like this is a really um i i've i've not had a lot of experience at all with this um i have had a moment where i was in the presence of somebody who may have been possessed and um this is very um this this deep voice this unearthly voice i thought they did this they depicted this very very well um 
And so um, the demoniac noticed he'd rather be dead. He's like, yeah, kill me. I'd rather be dead than, um, than be, you know, possessed by this demon. And this scene mentions the notion that if the demon leaves him, it will go find someone else. And I think I can see why they, they mention this. Because notice that's why Simon doesn't kill him. Because he's like, you're lucid with this demon. You can handle him. If I kill you, he'll find someone else who might not be so lucky. Um, I have mixed feelings for why they mention this. But it reminds me of when Jesus sends the demons into the pigs and they all run off the cliff. Um, but I think by mentioning this, they then give us the false sense that the demon then later possesses Mary, which is not the case. And so I, I, I wish they almost wouldn't have referenced that because I think it gives us the false sense that now the demon's going to go possess Mary, which is not what happened. Um, so John the Baptist is back on the scene and um, I like that John the Baptist and Jesus are hanging out. I think that makes sense. Um, I think it makes sense for cousins to hang out. They're both in this ministry. You know, there was some, one of the controversies was that they argued. And, um, you know, would they have argued? And I think in some ways they're pushing each other back and forth like siblings. And, um, I mean, they're not siblings, but you know what I mean? And um, we have to remember that, like, John argued with Jesus at the Jordan when he's like, I shouldn't baptize you, you should baptize me. Like, John argued with the way Jesus was, you know, beginning his public ministry. Um, and so this is kind of along those lines, right? John John doesn't have um, an omniscient uh, idea of what the ministry of Christ is supposed to look like, right? And so, you know, they just kind of, you know, have to disagree. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's true that Jesus didn't come to confront earthly rulers on their on their sins in a sense. Um, and so I think some people were uneasy about this because it seemed like Jesus was telling John not to do what would later get him killed. And in the end, Jesus, when they leave for the last time, Jesus says, this is your mission. He, he reiterates that. Um, it wasn't the emphasis of Jesus's mission, but it was what John felt he needed to do. And so I think it's just interesting to kind of ponder how this disagreement reflects their different missions. And Jesus's mission is different than John's mission. And that's okay, right? That's exactly, you know, John's mission is to serve the Messiah. And he says he will do that. Um, so I, I just thought it was a very normal kind of banter back and forth. Um, I like when J John said, I'm eager for you to get to the point. Well, um, that point ultimately is the cross. And so are we eager for him to get to the point? You know, he has a lot of work to do before then. And so he's slowly unfolding. And this points to the fact that so often we want um, everything to be now, right? Get to the point. Let's do this. And God's revelation is a slow unfolding. The catechism says that, right? Slow unfolding of, of knowledge of God, right? The, the revelation is a slow unfolding. We see it. It took, think about how many thousands of years in the Old Testament to understand the father and then i mean we'll never understand him but and then the son comes in the fullness of time so it's a slow unfolding um christina points out i i forgot about this you're right going back to the demoniac um the the demon could smell jesus on simon why because he hugged jesse so he could smell jesse and that miracle um and i think that was i really liked that detail as well um I really want, I really liked that. 
Uh, Christina says, I've never given any thought to the possibility that John the Baptist could be wrong or make a mistake. Aren't prophets generally on point with God, what God wants them to do? Um, I mean, I think they are. I, But it, again, I think we need to be careful not to give some of these people more knowledge than they would have had. You know, I, we don't know what it's like to be a prophet. We don't know what I, you know, they heard the Lord, but it doesn't mean that they could never sin. It doesn't mean that they didn't make mistakes. Um, I mean, if you think about it, you have the moment where um, the prophet comes to David, right? Is that Nathan? Comes to David um, to tell him that he can build the temple. Like David wants to build the temple. And the prophet comes and says, Nathan's the one that gets mad at him about Bathsheba. Who's the one that tells him about the temple? Anyway, the prophet comes and tells David, yeah, you can build the temple. And then the next day he's like, just kidding. No, you're not supposed to build the temple. The Lord just told me, you know, so... I think we just want to be really careful to recognize that these people were people. And yes, they probably heard the voice of the Lord differently than we do because they had the gift of prophecy. But why they wouldn't have been all knowing when it came to this. And I think we just we don't know what it looks like. And so, you know, could it be that they had disagreements? Absolutely. Um, I just I think that. Um, yeah, I just I, I thought that that conversation was was interesting. I like that they referenced the Canticle of Zechariah and the Magnificat, right? Those are very important prayers in our Catholic tradition. And so they kind of reference, you know, your dad's song and my mom's song. And I, I really I really liked that. Um, I think John is hesitant. Um, you know, he wants in a sense, he wants he thinks he knows what the Messiah's mission is and he wants Jesus to get to the point. And um, I don't know. I just think it's interesting to think about. And that's what I think I love about this series is that it stretches me to rethink some things that I just assumed or I never thought about. And we're going to talk about that when it comes to the incarnation in a hot minute too. Um, Jesus says, I'm always ready to do my father's will, but that doesn't make it easy. Again, there's this like hesitancy. When I heard that, I was like, what do you mean it's not easy? <laughs> You're, you're God. What do you mean it's not easy? Like that seemed to limit his divinity. But then it was like, well, wait a minute. What about the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where he's in agony thinking about what the Father's will is. He's in agony and asks, like, it shows that he has a human will and a divine will. And I guess that's one thing. We can't forget that Jesus had a human will and a divine will. It's a, it's a heresy to say he only had one will. And so what did that look like? We don't know. Um, but even if, 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 if Christ is struggling with what his mission leads to, why wouldn't John the Baptist be struggling? You know, so I don't, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I like that this show stretches us in thoughts about the incarnation. And we are about to talk about that in a second, about the incarnation. But I do want to reference Matthew and Thomas. Um, I don't know about you, but Thomas kind of annoys me. He might be my least favorite character right now. Um, yeah, I think he's my least favorite character. And um, I want to I want to maybe clarify a couple episodes ago, I said that I wasn't shipping Matthew and Mary. And for those of you maybe not in the millennial generation, that meant I wasn't wishing for a relationship between them. And I still am not. And... I don't know. I, Christina said that maybe Matthew sees her as a mother. I 
maybe I don't think so I think there's a romance and I just don't like it I'm gonna say that I don't like it um and again I think that's our Catholic perspective that I don't think the apostles married after they were called um but I don't I don't know so we'll see um historically Matthew and Mary did not get married <laughs> I'll tell you that um but we'll see we'll see what happens um, so then we have the, that beautiful scene, it, beautiful in a haunting um, way, where, you know, obviously Jesus is going to come to the rescue, and we, we know that in our, in our heart, but there's that terror when Mary tries to fight the demoniac herself, you know, and I think there's this sense that Mary has been redeemed, knows what it took for her to kind of, to, well, so she thinks it's the, she thinks that by hearing Jesus call her name, she's been redeemed. But it wasn't just Jesus calling her, it, her name, it was Jesus. <laughs> um, and so if you notice, she asks the demoniac his name. And she thinks that if she does the same thing Jesus did, at least this is what I think she's thinking, um, my thought is, in especially in Hebrew culture, knowing a name indicated having a power over someone. And so when someone knows your name, um, it's like ownership or that intense relationship. And so I think there's something, there's something deep going on here that Mary's not prepared to do because she's not with Christ. She's not strong enough. And so she wants to help, but she can't help without Christ. And so often we think we can rely we think our good intentions are good enough and we think we can rely on our own strength and Mary falls here because Mary Mary can't do it by herself and so she's already in this spiral right especially the spiral of shame which is such a such a dangerous spiral that the Lord wants to save all of us from but she's in this dangerous spiral of guilt and shame and the demon sees that vulnerability and the demon right he, he calls her by her by Lilith, right, her possessed name, and that sends her, and um, she tries to be strong. Then Simon comes, and just like Mary was trying to fight it alone, he's trying to fight it with his brawn, right? And, and Simon can't fight the demon either. We can't fight demons. <laughs> we need the name of Jesus, right? We need Jesus. And so we are powerful only through him, only through him. And so he comes, and I love how he comes, and immediately the demon sent out. And doesn't everybody love John the Baptist's reaction? Um, it's that almost that like that like almost comedic relief that we need in that really dramatic moment that the chosen does really well. Um, you know, when we're just about to cry, it makes us laugh. And um, John's really excited because he got to see that happen. So um, when John yells, "Yeah," I think. I don't know. I burst out laughing, which is a weird time to burst out laughing because we just had a very, very dramatic scene. Okay, so Mary wanders off. Um, now Jesus tells Rama to go check on her, and they actually added a scene later after the um, after the the review, the first few viewings. They added a scene where that clarifies that Rama did check on her because it sounded like at first that Rama didn't. So Rama did check on her. Um, and they added that because of viewer um, feedback. And then, um, but Mary says she wants to be alone. And then eventually we see Mary wandering towards Jericho. And we'll we'll talk about that in a second. 
But I want to talk about the incarnation, and I want to talk about, um, like, well, so so Simon and Jesus are talking, right? And Jesus is going to call Simon to follow him. And somebody mentioned last episode that, you know, did Jesus cure Jesse on the Sabbath at that moment to get to, to, you know, to get Simon's attention? And we see here that's exactly why he did that, right? So he tells Simon, how else could I get your attention? So he wants to call Simon to be a follower. So he does that by curing Jesse and by getting Simon's attention, right? It was a very powerful moment um, in the last episode when Simon sees Jesse walking and he realizes the Messiah has come. So Christina had asked earlier about, um, or had observed about the omniscience of Christ, right? Is Christ all-knowing? Well, is God? Yes. You know, he, he says things like, I'm supposed to meet someone. So he's clearly looking for Jesse. It reminded me of what's in scripture in, in John's gospel for the woman at the well, right? Fotina. It says he had to pass through Samaria, indicating he knew. And they, they pull that out in the Chosen episode, in episode 8. He knows he's going to meet Fotina. He's going to go meet Fotina. And so, um, so Christina said, you know, like, basically, when does Christ know and when does he not? Like, how do we know when Christ, like, does Christ know Jesse's sitting there? Well, I'd like to say yes, that he knows the Father's plan, that he's in dialogue with the Father. This actually brings up a much bigger issue that is going to come out especially in this episode and the episodes following when we talk about Jesus practicing the sermon, okay? So we're going to kind of, nobody, I think very few people like that idea that Jesus would be practicing the sermon. But we have to hold on to this mystery of the incarnation, that the mystery of the incarnation is a mystery. When does Christ know something and when does he not know something? Well, we don't know. Um, With the incarnation, it's a mystery. And people talk about, um, high Christology and low Christology. So very, 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 very high Christology is that you, like we believe, and I don't believe this, but some people believe that Jesus always possessed the beatific vision at every moment when he walked on this earth. He possessed the beatific vision. So this actually became a big theological argument, um, especially in the last century, about the incarnation. I mean, we've struggled with the incarnation from the very beginning, right? Um, and so what is when does what does Christ know in his incarnation and what does he not know right Christina says in this episode he clearly knows he's saying goodbye to John the Baptist for the last time right yes so does he know everything as um, a divine person that's assumed a human nature well in the last century people wrestled with this and some of them took it too far and said like you know basically the question is what does it mean when we say that he emptied himself he emptied himself. Um, what does that mean? Well, and some people say they go, go too far and they say, well, he's not God. Like he's completely emptied himself of any divinity. Several theologians have, have come up with a better way of, again, we don't know. This is a mystery, right? And so this is the realm of theology where we're discussing these ideas and wrestling with them. And von Balthasar came up with this beautiful image that when Christ becomes man, he doesn't cease to be God, right? That's going too far. But he doesn't hold on to the privileges of the divinity. And instead, he lays them up to the Father. And he constantly then depends on the Father. This is why he prays, right? He prays, why? Because he's in constant dependence 
of the Father. Not that he ceased to be God, but that he's laid up these privileges of divinity to the Father. And so he wasn't kind of this divine robot that knows everything and is walking around at every moment knowing everything, but that he's constantly living independence of his Father, which is why he prays. Um, it's why he prays before choosing the 12. We see that in scripture. Why? Wouldn't he just know who to choose? Um, and so this, so I think that when we have him going to see Jesse, he's in constant dialogue with the father about the father's plan. And so the father has revealed to himself that he is to cure Jesse so that Jesse and Simon can begin to be followers. Um, there's a beautiful scene. Well, the, one of the most beautiful scenes of the chosen, the calling of Matthew. If you go back and rewatch it, Christ is walking past Matthew's tax collector booth and he stops and then he turns and he faces Matthew and I think whether Dallas thought this or not I think that's a beautiful reflection on the father is calling him to call Matthew he might not know at every moment okay his name's Matthew and he's going to be a but that he's passing by the booth and he's in constant dependence of the father and the father then is revealing his will to call Matthew um and so if, if God, if Jesus was a divine robot, he's unrelatable to us. We can't relate to that. But if he's in this constant dependence as, you know, a, a, a man living on this earth, if he's in constant dependence of the Father, not only is that relatable, but that's what we need to be doing. We need to be in constant dependence of the Father. So how can Christ be like us in all things but sin unless he lays up these privileges to the Father and lives in constant dependence of him. So I hope this, this makes kind of sense. Again, a lot of this incarnation stuff is an absolute mystery. We don't know what it's like to be God and man, but I think by looking at it this way, explains some of the approaches that the chosen has taken, um, like the calling of, of, of Simon through Jesse. Um, and we'll talk about him preparing a sermon in a second. Um, I also saw a comment about Mary Magdalene and hang on, Marilyn, we're going to talk about that. So, so hang on with us. Um, yeah, it's all about the divine and human nature and, and it's a mystery to us. And so what theologians do is they pray about this mystery. Theology's done on one, one's knees and they wrestle with this mystery and they come up with ideas and sometimes their ideas are wrong and sometimes they're beautiful, um, approaches to, um, how we are to live our life too. Um, okay, so when Jesus and Simon are talking, um, I love when Jesus says, I have everything I need, but I wanted you. I love that because so often, like Simon thinks Jesus needs his special skills, right? Jesus, Like Jesus needs my ninja skills. No, Jesus doesn't need those. He wants you. And, um, and he showed clearly he doesn't need his special skills because Simon couldn't defeat the demoniac, right? But I think so often we fall into that trap of thinking that Jesus wants what we do. No, Jesus wants us. You can get into that trap a lot working for the church. You begin to think that you're God's employee and that he needs you and that you are going to do this work because God needs you to do this work. You know what God wants even more than your work? He wants your heart. He wants you to be a son. He wants you to be a daughter. And so he wants Simon. He doesn't just want Simon's special skills. He wants Simon. And I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful scene. Um, so Mary has left. Mary goes towards Jericho, I believe. That's what they've depicted it as, Jericho. Um, so Jericho is in the low. So Jericho has been a notorious sign of sin, actually. 
Um, and so in a lot of the parables and a lot of the times when you go to Jericho, you're going down. And so if you've ever been to the Holy Land, Jerusalem is on a mountain. Jericho is not that far from the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth. And so the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is very steep, very downhill. And so um, poetically, Jericho was going down, was going away from Jerusalem, the temple, going down into sin. Um, and so they didn't really pull that out in this, but that's what I thought of when I saw that she's going to Jericho. Um, notice when the, um, the Roman pastor, she wasn't scared. She like looked at him in defiance. It's old Mary, and that's a problem. Old Mary. Nope, we don't want old Mary. We want, we want, and we, it's not that we want Mary to have trauma, and I think that's important. Like, we don't want Mary to be tra have trauma or guilt or shame, but we also don't want this hard-edged Mary, and we don't want Mary to rely on herself because that is not the answer. Um, okay, I'm just, like, reading over comments to make sure I didn't, um, I didn't lose anything. Okay, so um, before we talk about Mary Magdalene, we need to talk about Jesus and John. And um, Jesus, you know, tells John, you're doing what you're supposed to do. And as we mentioned earlier, I think it's clear that he knows he will not see him again. And so, you know, at the end, Jesus reminds John to listen to God's voice. Um, and we should think about that. Like when we think we know what we should do and when we want to confront evil, we still have to listen to God's voice. And so was he telling him, don't do this? No, he was saying, listen to God's voice, listen to God's voice. And we need to do that as well. Um, Jesus working on a sermon, very controversial, um, very controversial. And I don't particularly love it, to be honest. Um, but Dallas is using it to show that Jesus is incarnate and that um, he compared him prepping a sermon to him having to start a fire in episode three of season one, right? He had to start a fire. He didn't just call down fire from heaven. He um, is limited because he's like us in all things, but sin. And so, you know, people, we've been wrestling with the incarnation for 2000 years and people still disagree. And so I think this is one of those moments where, do I agree with this interpretation? No, um, but at the same time, um, it's just not a real deal breaker for me. I don't love it but it's not a deal breaker. And I think it's more about Christ finding the right words. It's not like he has to think, well, what am I going to say to these people? Right? I think it's more, how do I convey it? And I think that comes out um, later when he's talking to Matthew later in the, the season. Um, and so I think it's more, and as a teacher, I'm not the son of God, but as a teacher, sometimes I know exactly what I want to say, but if I don't, convey it the proper way. I'm not actually communicating because my audience doesn't understand it. And so is it more of a trying to find the right words? Um, you know, so I don't think he would have done this. I also think there's in some sense, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't one moment. Um, was there a Sermon on the Mount? Absolutely. But you have to remember for three years, Jesus is teaching and we're only seeing a minor minuscule part of it. I think he said those Beatitudes a lot. I don't think he said them once. I think he taught these concepts again and again and again and again and again. So I don't like the way they depict the Sermon on the Mount at all. Sorry, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't watched that episode. Um, but again, it's not a deal breaker. I'm not the director. I'm not making these these um, 
I'm not making these decisions, but I do think it, it just seemed a little strange that Jesus was struggling so much. Um, Bill Stewart points out, and you're absolutely right. So he says, I think it has a lot to do with Matthew's education and training. So we talked about this earlier, but one thing they're going to do with Matthew and Mary is they're going to use those characters to unpack a lot of the teaching without it just being kind of this rote discussion or like this like Bible reading. Um, and so we'll talk about that more in the eighth episode especially, but he's using some of this so that he can unpack these teachings without just reading scripture to us. Um, and so that's an important thing to point out. Um, I don't know why I wrote down Psalm 139. Keep that in your thoughts. Why did I write that down? Is that what Jesus tells Peter and Matthew maybe? He might have told them that, that. So keep that in your thoughts. Like That's what I think that's what it was. He said, you know, keep that in your thoughts as you go out. Why? Because they're going out into the darkness to find Mary. And so remember, when I'm in the dark, deepest pit of Sheol, he is with me. And so remember that, that Jesus is with him. Um, so Mary's fall. This was the other controversy, um, especially in non-Catholic circles. Why did Mary fall? Why was Mary um, redeemed by Christ so powerfully in that first episode of season one? And now look, like what happened? Um, and I forgot to look this up. It might be Mary of Agrita. Um, Blessed Mary of Agrita, who's a mystic, actually depicts that Mary in this way, that Mary, because again, we don't know that much about Mary Magdalene at all from scripture. And, um, and so she actually depicts Mary in her mystical visions as coming and going into the followers of Christ and falling back into sin and then coming back and falling back into sin and coming back. So I thought it was interesting that Dallas, who's probably never read Mary Bagrita, um, had this idea, but I, I actually loved it. Um, I think it's very relatable that just because she was redeemed by Christ doesn't mean she can't sin again doesn't mean she can't go back to her her old ways think about how many years she lived in that lifestyle she's been redeemed for you know what a couple months and while it was a powerful moment and the word of god redeemed her she we don't believe in once saved always saved and so i think this is why the non-catholic audiences had a huge problem with this and dallas really fought back strongly and he spoke of personal experience of struggling with sin repenting of that sin but falling back into that sin falling back into the bad habits and he posits correctly like he points out correctly that that's not to say that mary wouldn't have sinned again is not scriptural because the lord we we all sin every single day we fall back into our old habits and the point of the scriptures is that god is still there waiting to redeem us right god's willing to forgive us again wasn't that the daily gospel today? The, yeah, the unforgiving servant. Like he forgives again and again and again. Why? Because we screw up again and again and again. And so I loved that they chose to take this tap, this 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 approach with Mary because I think it's so relatable that just because I number one, just because I know what I'm supposed to do, just because I know that sin is wrong doesn't mean I don't do it. I mean. If that's the way you are, I want to come live with you for a while because I want you to rub off on me. That I mean, St. Paul himself says, like, why do I do the things I do not want to do? That's concupiscence, baby. 
And and this is Mary, right? She's lived in this lifestyle for so long. She has PTSD, trauma, guilt, shame. She spirals. She can't conquer a demon by herself. She gets, she, she gives up. She gives up. And how often do I give up? And I forget that Jesus Christ is the answer. I forget that I've been redeemed. I forget that he's willing to forgive me again and again and again. Um, if you think about it, and we'll see this coming up, but she's carrying this guilt of, of not being able to confront the demon. She probably thinks she's failed and she's unforgivable. And so she might as well go and gamble her money away. Um, and we can say, how can she think that? We, I'm sure you know lots of people who think they've committed unforgivable sins and are not worthy of God's mercy. Um, and we have to pray for them. But I just think she was so relatable. And the characters in the show again and again and again are not cookie cutter, plastic, plaster statues. And I love that. I love that these are people with real struggles that we can relate to, with, with real trials, with real crosses that we can say, I've been there. I've been there. And um, the Lord's still ready to forgive. So on that note, any questions? I'm going to scroll through your comments in case I've forgotten anything or missed anything. Oh, there are new comments that I've missed. Um, did I miss Mary in the Mary scene? Okay, so Wendy is, well, some people are, um, okay, so yes, I'm sorry. So, so don't worry, Christina, some people are spoiling. Um, yeah, there's a spoiler alert. Um, I missed all these comments. I missed all these comments. I'm sorry. Um, oh, AJ Catapan. I just started following you on Twitter today. It's good to see you here. Um, yeah, these are great comments. And, um, and they went to look for Mary. Okay, so I was right, Bill, about that reference. Um, because she's human, she fell again. Right, right. And it looks like a big sin. I don't think it is. Um, so, I mean, I, I hate to say that. We don't really know what happens. And again, I don't want to spoil it. But she's going back to gambling, which, you know, I mean, I think in some, some circles is, I mean, she's left Jesus. That's a huge sin, right? Um, that's an enormous sin. But nothing's beyond redemption. And so don't, don't freak out that something Mary's going to like become a woman of ill repute. Dallas says he doesn't interpret Mary as a prostitute, and he, he is not depicting Mary as a prostitute. So just to be really clear about that. Um, yeah, Brandy, Brandy's a spoiler on the Mary, but don't, don't, uh, um, yeah, these are great, these are great comments. So, um, yeah, so Brandy says, are we sure Dallas isn't Catholic? Dallas is definitely not Catholic. So, although I guess he gave a talk once, and some people thought that he was, and we talked about that on the podcast, I think. Um... So yeah, our journey is a pilgrimage. Absolutely. I give a really good talk on that, by the way. I give a talk on basically our life is a pilgrimage. So um, I think that's it. Okay. Yes, definitely. So thank you all for joining me. Sorry, I had to go through your comments at the end there. Um, I was scrolled up. and So once again, if you don't mind giving me a thumbs up, I know that's a super silly YouTube per thing to say, YouTube person thing to say, but it actually really helps if you can 
mash the th the like button, um, it actually helps show up in algorithms and helps other people find this. And I found there are lots and lots of Catholics, especially after we did the podcast today, there's lots of Catholics watching The Chosen. And so if whether these YouTube videos or the podcast, Joan's Take on The Chosen, which is just the audio from here, um, can help them, that would be a great thing. So if you don't mind, give me a thumbs up if you're still watching, and we will be back to talk about episode six, which again, they are kind of all like, they're all to mushing together in my head as well, Brandy. Um, but we'll be back to talk about episode six. Do you have time to comment on what, if one gets, wait, for being by Jesus in person? Christ, wait, Christina, can you, what did, oh yeah, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Yes, Christina, I don't understand your comment or your question, but I will mention it. If, I mean, I'll answer it if, if I understand. Um, but yes, yeah, subscribe to the YouTube channel too. That's a huge thing. Thank you, Wendy. Um, I have not read Sean Davidson book on Mary Magdalene. Is it good? Would Bill, would you recommend it? Um, do you have time to comment if one gets extra grace for being healed by Jesus in person? Hmm. I think grace is, I don't know. Grace is a, another huge thing that everybody's argued about for thousands of years. Um, I mean, I think if you're healed, you're healed. You'd like to think that like Mary wouldn't fall because she's been healed by Jesus in person. But then I think I receive Jesus's body, blood, soul, and divinity inside my body every day. And I still sin. So, I mean, I mean, we're closer to Jesus receiving the Eucharist than we are if we would be walking with him down the street. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Go Catholics. Um, so I, I don't really know about the possibility of extra grace for being healed by Jesus in person, but I'd like to think that receiving the Eucharist is the closest I can get to Jesus outside heaven, and I'm still a pretty miserable wretch. So, um, okay. Thanks for joining. And yeah, tune in. Today's Thursday. Tune in on Sunday when we look at episode six, which I don't know the name of it. I have not prepared that. So, um, but yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoyed our discussion tonight and I look forward to talking to you all on Sunday. So God bless all. Good night.